Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. We've come to week three of our forgiveness series. And like I've mentioned from the very beginning, the heart behind this series is not to condemn, but to convict. You know, the heart behind this series is that we can live in the fullness and freedom of what Jesus paid on the cross for us. To live in that fullness, not holding on to things that have been, but trusting in He who is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, the heart is that as we conclude this series, we go into next week in party mode. But not just because we've been here for three years, but because we've been set free by the things that have held us back. And so if you're joining us for the first time, uh, you can jump on podcasts and hear the last two weeks of what was shared. But I'll give a quick recap as we go into today. In the first week, uh, why we forgive. You know, Jesus talks about the whole idea of not just forgiving once, twice, seven times, but 77 times. The whole heart behind that is not to keep count, but to lose score. That the whole idea is that the grace that is in Jesus, we can then bestow on others. We were forgiven to forgive. And that we cannot encounter the fullness of God in our lives until we can forgive. And so, uh, again, the unity, we talked about the scripture in Matthew 18, where it talks about where two or three are gathered. The context of that scripture is if you have an offense against someone, you talk to them directly. Uh, Context is so important. And then we go into last week, we, we heard about Joseph's story. God gives him a dream and the person or the people that he felt that he could trust the most betrayed him in, in the worst possible way. And beyond that, that just set a, a spiral of events that went from betrayal to being accused to being forgotten and ultimately to being restored and having to then face the very people that started that spiral. You know, we learned that forgiveness is not forgetting and pretending nothing happened, but it's to acknowledge that there was once a debt there, but it didn't anymore. They are released from that debt. And we know that Joseph, he played that sick prank. I still believe it's a very sick prank on his brothers. But ultimately, even in their suspicion, he was able to actually then come to that frame of mind, that position to say, what you meant to harm me, God intended for good. And that even in all those seasons, he was able to still worship in spite of the pain, in spite of seeing that reality of that dream going further and further away. He never lost his integrity of heart because he knew that somehow God would make a way and he did. And so today's focus, today I've called the, uh, the, the, the title of my message, Cross-Colored Lenses. Now, you know, we've often heard, you know, for someone that's very, you know, optimistic, oh, you see the world through rose-colored glasses, and um, I'm not sure what other colored, colored glasses there are, but, but for me, the cross-colored lenses is to focus on people that may not be like us, that may not believe like we do, that may not live the way that we do, that may not act the way that we do, that we would see them through cross-colored lenses in order to break stereotypes. See, I believe that stereotypes will come out of fear, can off, out of bitterness. We can then label people based on what's been happened to us uh, and, and we limit and we withhold the grace to others. And so my heart is that even though there may be people out there that their intention is to treat us bad, that for us as a church will be known as a place where there is healing, forgiveness, grace in this house. See, often the results of people's actions actually tell a different story of what's underlying beneath. And context is so important. Empathy is so important. You know, I want to start off with a story that 
that I shared, like that, that I'd love to share with you that took place when I was working with young kids that were in the juvenile justice system. You know, one of the things that I used to love uh, about my job is where I'd have conversations with people that didn't understand the context of the situation that led a, a young person to offend. You know, one of the things I would often hear young people say, I'm just a criminal, I'm just a drug this, or I'm just that. And, and, and the reality was, it was, no, no, that was the, 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 the effect of a much deeper cause. But I remember one particular young person stood out to me we're going to call him Simon, not this Simon over here, but we're going to call him Simon for the purposes of this exercise. And I remember you know, seeing his story, and my heart had broken that week, but that weekend we went to a friend's house, and, and I engaged in dialogue with, with, with my friend's father, and, and I remember he said, you know, what do you do? And I explained to him, you know, I work with uh, young kids that are in juvenile detention that are exiting the, the justice system, and, and he goes, you know what they need? They just need a good beating. That's what's going to change them. These little criminals, they get everything, and they just need a beating. Tell me more. You know, I grew up with a single, single mom, and you know, every time I was out of line, you know, she would just give me a beating, and you know what, look, I'm a very respectful person in society now. So I'm like, so the answer is give them a beating? I mean, okay, fair enough. But then I asked him this question, I actually shared the story. What happens if, and I explained Simon's story, that when Simon was two, his father cracked his skull because of the way his mom brushed his hair. When Simon was eight, his father took him, uh, injected him with heroin, took him to offend and threatened to kill his mom if he didn't go along. I said, what about his story? When he didn't have what you had, what about his story? What about those people I had? What about those people? You know, Sonia, we, we, we worked in the same field for a little bit. She got to meet young Simon and see the heartbreak in this kid. That You would see this kid rough as guts, tattoos and everything, but you would see this little scared boy in there. And my heart broke because I thought if this boy was ever to come in church, if the, if the mentality was they need a good beating, that person would walk out of those doors and never come back again. Where is the humanity was my question in that. And so for today, there are two stories that I want to share. And I'd love to say that it wasn't going to be as heavy as it's been before, but I really do believe the importance for us to get at a heart level because the day is coming. It's being prophesied that through these doors, we are going to literally see the people that are outcasts of society. And I want us to be in that position to embrace those people into the kingdom of God. And so the first story that I want to share with you, and sadly, you know, as, as we turn to the Bible, it's John 8, 1 to 11. Sadly for Simon, the, the, the spiral just got to a point where now he's in adult prison for uh, over, over 10, 15 years now for constantly getting worse offending. My things, hey, and my heart breaks, but I'm going to just invite you to turn John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And I'm just going to read it from the NIV version. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in an, a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. I love this bit. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, questioning him, he straightened up and said, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. It's interesting, the older ones first. For those of us, I don't believe necessarily just older in age, but there are plenty of us here who are older in experience in Christianity. 
the younger generations, the younger generation of Christians are watching what you do. Not necessarily doing what you say, but watching what you do. Interesting side point there. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, our hurt and bad experiences can impact how we view the world and treat others. We can paint everyone with the same brush and influence others to do the same. It's essential to check our hearts for unforgiveness because if not, unforgiveness leads to condemnation and false narratives. See, we understand God is love. But yet the Pharisees would have understood that in principle, but they didn't get it. See, despite knowing the law better than everyone else, they did not get the heart of God. That the heart of God is in. See, relationship connects, religion dissects. Where relationship calls up, religion calls out. And so for them, it was publicly shaming. Jesus spoke, you know, in private. You speak to someone one-on-one. They're like, no, we're going to bring her out and we're going to shame her in front of everyone. Points out every single thing that she's done. But their motive wasn't to uphold the law. They had an ulterior motive. Their motive was to trap Jesus. They distorted the law to fit an agenda to get to an outcome of seeing Jesus punished, not the woman getting the so-called justice she deserved. How so, you may ask. Don't you find it fascinating that only the woman that was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus? I often wonder that. A side note on that, you know, Jesus, we read Jesus as this very passive, very sort of friendly going guy, but Jesus was radical. Jesus was one of the founders of women's rights back in the day. He gave them a voice. He gave them identity. And not only just women, but those that were broken. But coming back here, I find that very interesting. You know, the fact that they would go and seek this person. Some uh, scholars even argue that they set her up to be able to do this. So, you know, but that's neither here nor there. But here she is and the man's not there. If they were true to the law, Leviticus uh, 20.10 and Deuteronomy 22.22 said that both the man and the woman by law should be killed. But yet here there was an agenda. Church, this uh, this is where it gets real. The sad reality is we see very similar behavior in the church in this day and age. Not Numa Church West, praise the Lord for that. Honestly, no, honestly, not Numa Church West, praise the Lord for that. But many of us have walked through these doors broken because we've seen in church, people rather than calling us up have called us out on scripture that has been used and distorted to suit an agenda. People calling out, not calling up. Acting out of hurt, making assumptions, stereotypes, rather than coming to you, rather than coming to me, going to other people to talk bad about other people, like somehow that's biblical and godly. You know, we see that even in recent years on different political agendas and things. You know, often we can put people on a pedestal when they argue something that is remotely Christian, but not, no fruit in that. How many times have we heard, oh, look at that world famous artist. All of a sudden he re- he's, he's got Jesus. So everything he says, we follow him. Or look at that politician. He says he believes in Jesus, but yet the fruit of his life doesn't reflect it. But yet, doesn't matter. If anyone disagrees, we condemn, condemn them. You could hear a pin drop in here. <laughs> the church should be known for what it stands for, not what it's against. It breaks my heart when I meet someone and I tell them what I do. Oh, so you're the people that hate, insert. So you're the people that are against, insert. 
No, we're the people that believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again to set us free, that God loves you, that so much he sent his son to die for you so you didn't have to live in the shackles of sin. You can live in a free, uh, a free life and relationship with your creator. So back to the story, the Pharisees were after Jesus and did not but yet Jesus' response was strategic and it teaches us something. It teaches us that we must first reflect inwards before reacting outwards. Jesus knew their intentions, he's the son of God, he knows all things, but I love his response. I love that they're saying all this stuff and he's like, Silence, moments, time, drawing. You know, again, I, I read in one commentary that, um, that, that, that the whole idea of him drawing on the dust, the initial law in Exodus was, was written by the finger of God. Now here is the son of God writing in the dust. It's powerful. And in this moment, he's just whistling. This would have infuriated the Pharisees. This would have got them so angry. Tell us, what do you say? What say you? But yet Jesus did not bow down to the pressure. Majority wanting answers. See, often we have people, what do you believe about this? Tell me right now. And we, oh, I'll tell you this. And then it becomes this big ugly thing when we don't even know how we feel about things. The amount of times that I've been asked on different political issues, I mean, the reality is um, I always want to go back to what the Word of God says and understand what God says first before I come up with my own opinion. Otherwise, I'll become like Peter and I'll just go chop people's ears off when Jesus is asking me not to do that, right? I mean, it's very important to sit still and wait. But Jesus didn't bow down. In his time, he got up and he made that bold statement. If any, any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I love that. And then he's like, okay. That's a good, that's good colors. That's nice. Oh, they're all gone. What happened? See, only one person had the authority to throw the stone, Jesus himself. And yet we can often come to church out in the community Ready, come ready with a whole ammunition full of stones to start throwing at people, aimed at people that don't know better. Now, the Pharisees weren't wrong. The law was clear. You know, they, they, but yet Jesus understood something that they didn't, and that was grace. See, the same, see Jesus understood this, that the same condemnation this woman deserved, the Pharisees also deserved. And yet Jesus convicted both and condemned neither. Jesus indirectly taught grace, that the cross is love and grace first and foremost. Church, let us not be known for looking negatively at others, but understanding that their forgiveness is actually tied to our forgiveness because we carry Jesus in us. That's why Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not just, not just the ones that you like, but the people that you walk through across the street, the people that you see on your way to work, the people that don't actually believe what you believe spiritually, politically, or whatever, but it's be going beyond enemy lines to turn an enemy to a frenemy. It's not even a word, but let's make it a word today. Forgive and to forgive. 
breaking stereotypes. You know, one of the things that Prime Minister said um, he, he, on the first night of conference, he spoke about the verses that have been really influential in his life. And, and one of them, it's, it's awesome that Christian actually led this in, in prep out today, was in Psalm 23.5, where you prepare a table before my enemies. And he says, you know, I sit on that table every single day. Every single day, he's like, who wants his job? No one put their hand up, let me tell you that. <laughs> uh, but, but the awesome thing was that he said that as difficult as his job is, every single day what he sees when he sees a person is a heartbeat. And that heartbeat created by God, Jesus died on the cross for. And so he, he urged the church. He's like, if there's one thing that the church can do is love the humanity in someone knowing that God has a plan for them. Love the humanity in your neighbor. Love the humanity in the hope that we will be known for the love, not for the condemnation of others. And I thought that was really powerful to hear. Because here we see that Jesus' wisdom in his response meant that the woman was spared from shame and death. Now there was only one thing left to do in addressing the woman. Jesus decided that rather than judge her, he would get down on the same level as her. See, in verse 3, the woman was standing before everyone. Jesus straightens up. He stands up. He engaged her in dialogue. He gave her an identity, agency, autonomy. He didn't treat her as the object. Adulterer! No. Woman. Now, whenever I read that, I used to think, whoa, that sounds a little bit aggressive. Woman! If I tried that on Sonia, woman! Bah! But we, say, we see this same word woman used when, when, when Jesus' uh, mom, when Mary, you know, makes him, she made him turn the water into wine. Children, obey your moms. You'll be better off for it. Jesus did. Um, but it's an adjective. It's a word that actually doesn't have an English word to describe it, but it's actually a word of endearment. So he gave her an identity. Woman, hey. And then he asked her a question. He engaged in that dialogue. Has no one condemned you? And then he, he, he didn't interrupt her and say, no, no, that was a rhetorical question. Shush. No, no. He allowed her to speak. He gave her a voice. No one, sir, she said. Then he responded, neither do I. If anyone that had the right to condemn, it wasn't. But neither do I. He compelled her to change. Because Jesus connected, then he convicted he addressed the person, then he addressed the behavior. We address behaviors irrespective of the person. The amount of time, sadly, if I can be honest as a pastor, the amount of times that I've heard about behaviors of everyone else before talking into the humanity of them breaks my heart because it's not necessarily just my job to fix people. It's actually our job to love people. And so for me, I want to believe that every person that walks through those doors, irrespective of where they're at, God has brought them because he has deemed you, he has deemed me the right people for the job in this season for that person. But often we miss our assignment because we see behavior before we see person. See, that, what I'm sharing today is not go and act like people do. It's not about that. I mean, Romans 12, 2 is clear. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Transform the renewing of our mind. Not conform, so don't, don't condone, don't necessarily agree. Transform the renewing of my mind. Okay, Lord, let me see them through your eyes. 
divine appointment here right now. There's a reason why this person's in my life. God, help me see them the way that you do. Help me renew my mind to not give up on them just like you never gave up on me when I was at my worst. Empathy is not about condoning behavior. It's about understanding context. You know, with, with my, my, my old friend Simon that I shared earlier at the start, I didn't agree with the, the, the crimes that he committed. Absolutely not. Of course not. I would not condone that. Oh, poor little Simon. Oh, you, you know what? Go and do that. No, no. But I'm like, but I can understand how you got there. And I remember sitting with him one day. And, and I think, Sonia, you were there in that time when I introduced you because Sonia is a counselor. We connected him with, with her service. This boy is crying, man. Like, this boy is crying. And, and I just remember looking at him and just feeling this, my heart just shatter. And just saying to him, look, what was done to you was wrong. I'm so sorry it happened. And I know, it, well, I'm not the perpetrator, I know that. I'm so sorry it happened. The future can be so much better than your past. Don't. You can, you know, and speaking life, but sadly, like I mentioned, choice after choice. But I'm still convinced that that young fella, young Simon, can come and receive Jesus. I, I still believe that God will continue to position people. And I trust that, you know, Numa Church is one of many churches. I'm sure my heart is that he will be positioned around a church that loves the lost aggressively to the point where they will do whatever it takes to connect with someone. That's my hope and prayer. And so in this moment, chains were broken. See, we will have broken people come through these doors. How we respond matters. Church, let's aim to look at the Imago Day in people, the image of God in their humanity. And ask ourselves the question, how would I respond? You know, I remember Pastor Sally many years ago spoke about when the, the hashtag Wild Wild West was born, that West was going to be the wild child. Wild people, I think we're quite the opposite. Hey? I'm pretty tame, very tame. Um, weird, but tame. <laughs> But I, I think about that, and I think about the, the journey that we've been on, and I'm like, wow, God. You know, the greatest privilege of first baptism in, as a Numa West pastor was my very first youth work client. I mean, how powerful is that, man? Like, come on. I want to see more of that. See, seeing others for how God sees them gives hope that they can be so much more than where they're at. Jesus' love and care compelled the woman to change. He got on her level and raised her up to his level. This can be easy when things are going well, but Jesus demonstrated in his own life that it's important to carry forgiveness through all seasons. Because like I mentioned, when things are well, where everything is going great, where, you know what, my life is fine and dandy. I'm, everything is just, you know, cupcakes, rainbows, beautiful. I'm loving life. It's easy for me to go, oh, let me show you a bit of compassion. Here you are. But what happens when things are going bad? How, what, what happens when, where, you know what, I walk through the doors of the, that church and those people hurt me. Excuse me, they forgot me. God, you promised me. You know what, no, no, God, I'm, I can't respond to that person because I'm still waiting for mine, God. What happens in those moments? The impact is so much harder. But yet again, I love the Bible because Jesus endured these things for us. So we've got the blueprint of what is possible in Christ. So I'm going to ask for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. This is the second story. Looking at the time, there we go, still got time. Two hours to go, brilliant. No, jokes, jokes. Okay, Luke chapter 23, a few people, there's some nervous laughter there. 
Verse 32 says, Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals. I love the emphasis on criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus, again, innocent, innocent blood hanging on the cross, has the audacity, the radical give them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a, a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals also hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. See, for Jesus, grace was not circumstantial. Can you imagine? <laughs> we probably wouldn't be in church if the response was, when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus answered, man, you're a criminal. You deserve this. I didn't deserve this. Stuff you all. I'm getting off the cross and going. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. But he had every right to. He had every right to. He did absolutely nothing wrong. But yet, even in that, in that, in that space, he paved the way. Even in that moment in time, Jesus crossed borders. Even in that moment in time, he ignored what the majority was saying to bring hope to someone in that moment that needed the love of God. He didn't engage in rhetoric. He worked through offense, through insults. He didn't justify himself, but he held firm and he loved. He forgave. And this created an opportunity for salvation. See, I believe that the, the other man, the man that ultimately is remembered in paradise in this story, was compelled to change because he saw this guy actually genuinely didn't do anything. And yet he still has the audacity to forgive. I want what's on his life. That a tortured man, a tortured soul on his life, his last few moments on this earth were the most freeing. He finally found that freedom and peace that had evaded him. That had been so elusive. See, church, <laughs> challenges are going to come. I know it's, it's, an, it's an awful newsflash, but challenges are going to come. We are going to get hurt. We will be betrayed. We will be insulted. People will not agree with us and call us names. People will uh, stand against us. We will see laws change that are going to impact the very life that we live, that we've been so accustomed to. But will we allow our hurt to impact the broken person that walks through that door? Will we allow that hurt to rob us of the joy that only comes through the Spirit? Because let me tell you something, whilst we see this majority, there are still people that are questioning. In fact, and I hadn't put this down here, an interesting story, um, uh, and, and Frank was with me at National Conference you know, on Friday. We just went for a little stroll to enjoy some sun and hit. And I was sitting there, this lovely old man was there. Looked like he was 65, right? But he was like 81. This guy, I'm like, I'll have whatever you're having. He goes, I'll have three glasses of wine a day. Maybe not. I won't have what you're having. <laughs> and he had lost his wife of 60 years a year before. And, 
But he asked the question. He's like, what do you do? What are you up here? Oh, wait, just for a conference. And, oh, you're a pastor. And he, and he starts engaging dialogue with me, right? And he goes, oh, well, why is it that Christians want to get to heaven, but none of them want to be first? Never been asked that question before. We get into that. Spoke about other things that we don't know if he was joking or being legit. I won't go into that for the sake of podcasts. But he had these stereotypes, right? And I could have easily said, oh, I'm a bit tired. You know what? I've been dealing with a lot of stuff. But I just remember in that moment, how beautiful is it you can engage in a conversation that clearly he didn't agree with me and everything I was saying. But ultimately, at the end, I got to pray for this guy. And, you know, just pray blessing over his heart and walk. I don't know. Often we want to see this dramatic, oh, hallelujah, he's on the ground crying. I don't know. The seed right there that someone else is going to water. How many seeds walk through these doors, church? And yet we, rather than actually water, because, you know, Paul talks about, I plant the seed, Apollo's waters, God makes it grow. Rather than allowing God to make it grow, we cover it because we turn our back when God sent them so we could welcome with open arms. Only God can break stereotypes because it starts with what's in our heart. Jesus still ministered through the pain of betrayal and hurt. And again, eternities were transformed. See, for us as believers, we have access to the same grace and forgiveness in the Holy Spirit. Yet for many of us, we, you know, we, we've spoken about the Pharisees, we've spoken about that, but some of us might actually be in the position of guilt and shame that the woman caught in adultery or, or the man on the cross were going through. And so we can hinder ourselves. We create our own narrative, our own stereotype, and, and feel that we can, God could never touch us or, or would want to cross that line. For you, can I tell you that you were seen and you were loved. Can I invite the band to come up? See, his love is greater than our sin and shame. How do I know this? He went to the cross to die for you and I. He carries our hurt. Always one prayer away. And I know that can sound very robotic and, 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 and very tokenistic. But when you look at... You know, Jesus being the primary hero in this story, but, but special mention to both the woman and the man here because in this moment, the woman didn't run away. It's funny that, right? She, when, when everybody left and she saw that Jesus had his back to her, she could have done the runner. Gone. But she didn't. She looked him in the eye. She didn't shy away. When she was invited to have a voice, she was vulnerable. She felt safe. She looked him in the eye and responded. She was set free. For the man, he simply acknowledged, overwhelmed by what was... He acknowledged that he understood he was a broken person. And in this, he confessed that reality, but not condemned. He was redeemed. Jesus didn't address these people by what they deserved, but rather through the lens of forgiveness. How do we view those that do not live a godly life? How do we view those that do live a godly life? See, often, if we can be real, because this was our story when we walked through the doors of this church 12 years ago. Because I was hurt at my last church, I will not trust this man or woman of God. I took out on someone else what someone else had done to me. And I remember we saying, I'm not going to serve. 
And I've told this story many a time, right? I'd go and hide in the in the bookshop and and pretend that my brother Manny was like the biggest Hillsong fan ever because I would call him, <laughs> pretend to call him every time someone would come in. Oh no, volunteers coming. What, what, which one did you want? United, Manny? Which book did you want, Manny? Little did Manny know, I wasn't even calling him. I was pretending to call him. Might have called him once or twice. And yet, Jesus didn't call me to take out on the next person what someone else did. And it took me years. Let's be honest, how many years? Babe? Three, four, five years, even in the first year of, on staff. You know, we're, we're covenant family. So often people think, okay, get it right, now you're a pastor. There are so many things that I have wrestled with, even over the last three years. Happy birthday hasn't always been happy, being a West location pastor. You're all beautiful. You're thinking, oh, you're looking at me like angels. Isn't but you know what the reality is? Like I said in week one, I offend you and you will offend me. But my love for you is greater than what you do to me. And I would hope that your love for us will be greater than what we do or don't do to you. And so our worldview comes from the lens of our heart. But yet we're not called to live from condemnation of self or others, but we are called to live from conviction that He from the cross set us free no longer condemned. The reality is we can't change people. Sometimes as much as we would try. Sonia's been trying to change me for years. Close, close the pantry door. I'm getting closer. I think it's like a millimeter each year, right? 12 years in, about 10 millimeters out. But we can love people to forgiveness. Like I mentioned, these last three weeks have not been about condemnation, but about letting go. It's scary, I know. It's scary. It's so scary. 12 years it's taken. And like I shared, you know, when God convicted for these messages, it was hard because I felt God convict for the messages and then ask the question that no one wants to hear. What are you going to do about it before you preach? I might extend the holiday to the Gold Coast. God, I think it's hard. It's hard, church. It's hard, but it's worth it. See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That cloak, that dirty cloak of pain, shame, bitterness, unforgiveness is taken, and we are given the cloak of the Son of Jesus Christ. No longer slaves, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And I believe that these three weeks has been about letting go and healing. Yes, it's a process. Yes, it will take time. At some point, you're either going to trust in God or you're not. It's not about me convincing you. At some point, you will believe that God can or He can't. I can't make that decision for you. But I believe that when we were called and appointed to lead this beautiful location, it was because this would be a house of healing. This would be a place that we would encounter the fullness, the full joy of God, not in a human or a leader, but in God Himself in this place, so that when those people walk through those doors, they too will encounter the fullness of God in you. You know, over the last few weeks, we've seen some brilliant testimonies, hey? You know, a friend of ours, unbeknownst to us, came a few weeks ago, you know, his journey over the last few years. And, and the one thing he kept saying is, man, the people are so authentic. The people are so real. No, oh, Dave, Sonia, you guys are amazing. The preaching is awesome. The music is awesome. No, no, the people are amazing. Every single person that spoke to us genuinely cared even though they didn't know me you know the amount of times I've heard that over the last few months I love that because we didn't sign up to lead this location for us to be followed 
but for them to find community with you, Newman West. That's what I love about this church, this house. And yeah, look, I know it's not everyone's flavor and that's okay because the kingdom of God is more than just one house, right? I mean, that's cool. I love that because as God positions a points, His revival comes through our obedience in that. So my heart is, church, the day is coming. We're going to see, and we've already seen, I mean, they haven't come back, but we actually had a neighbor that came a few weeks ago. He's like, what's all this commotion? I want to come. He, he walked out. He hasn't come back. But I believe my heart is if we get a good food truck next week, they'll come out. <laughs> come on. But he took notice. He said to me, I don't get why people are hanging around so late and leaving so, so happy. <laughs> this can't be church. How awesome is that? Huh? That's cool. That's you guys. You know, we usually here till 8 o'clock at night because... I don't like to talk too much even though I'm still talking. You guys love to talk too much. I love that. I love that my children, you know, can come and run up to each of you and feel safe with you guys. I love that. You know, I love that I can connect people with different, I mean, I look across the room, all these beautiful, friendly faces. For me, you have a face fit for radio. Thank God you've all got those beautiful faces. But wherever you go in your workplace, your school, your context, don't assume to know a person's reality. Take the time to get to know. Allow the love of God to convict the person, but connect with them first. Why don't we be upstanding? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, that you're speaking in this season, not just to this house, Lord, but, but all around the, the nation, Lord. And I pray, God, that in this season we will see a unity, not about the secondary things that we don't know, but the primary thing that you sent your son to die for us and that your gift of salvation is available to all, not just the moral elite, Father. Lord, I pray if there is any hindrance in our hearts, Lord, that is preventing us from stepping out, Lord, and stretching out our hand to love our neighbour, Father, I pray, Lord, that it be replaced with your love, with your grace, with your joy, with your peace, with your kindness, with your goodness, with your faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, Father. May our primary focus be your kingdom, not to win a fight or an argument, Father. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that in this season, Lord, we will encounter your fullness, God, as we go into the third year anniversary. May we not be complacent and content with just what we have, Lord, but may we keep pressing in to see our neighbours, our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, our mothers, our communities, our workplaces, people that are struggling in all areas of addiction, identity, whatever, Father, that we will see your love be the one, the agent of change will be your, your love, your son through us, Father. And so, Lord, while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, we just pray, Father God, that you just open our hearts and give us a cross-lensed glasses, Father. Cross-colored lenses, rather. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. 
Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.